Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Again, it's a great, great privilege to stand and minister tonight on this subject, and I want you to, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter uh, 16. I want to preach a message I've entitled, An Inconvenient Truth. And no, it's, um, it's not going to be a message about global warming. But it is going to be a message about the Great Commission warming. And hopefully, if I can be used by the Spirit of the Lord to throw some firebrands into this tinderbox, my prayer tonight is, O arrow of the Lord, slip past any defenses, any kind of distractions, and find your Mark, or Fred, or Alfredo. There is a little account I want to share with you. John Patton, his life was molded by his childhood in a little cottage in Kirkmahom, Scotland. The cottage had ribs of oak, stone walls, a thatched roof, and three rooms filled with 11 children. The front room served as a bedroom, kitchen, and parlor. The rear room was his father's stocking-making shop. The middle room was a closet where John's father retired each day for prayer and Bible study. The sound of his father's prayers to the wall made a powerful impression on young John. Years later, when Scotland's Reformed Church issued a plea for missionaries for the South Pacific, John went to his parents for advice. They told him something they had never uh, never before disclosed, and he had been dedicated to foreign missions before his birth. John sailed from Scotland April 16, 1858, landed on the islands in November. He found himself among cannibals, and endangered again and again. They encircled us in a deadly ring, he wrote of one incident, and one kept urging another to strike the first blow. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came, upon, came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that my life was immortal till my master's work with me was done. I don't doubt for one single moment that there's some people here tonight that unbeknownst to you, Somebody's dedicated you to the Lord. You might even ask your parents or your grandparents or your pastor. And tonight, uh, it's been my experience oftentimes in the timeline of 33 years of serving God that God has switches. And along the way, he can flip a switch that all of a sudden uh, something clicks and something comes on, uh, much like Greg Mitchell preached last night. You know, the real inspiration for this sermon uh, comes out of my son, Chris, and his wife, Melanie, and their two children went to uh, take over the church there in Johannesburg, uh, South Africa. And so uh, this young boy that left with us, he was just a, uh, you know, just a little chafer, bounced on my knee, by, I think about nine years old, and spent nine years of his life in the Philippines 
Uh, when, um, when we were leaving, I called him in, my daughter, Stephanie, my oldest daughter. I said, you know what? We're thinking of going back to the United States. And you got to understand, he's an American kid, all, all American, and always uh, rejoice when we're going back. And so I said to him, what do you think? And out of his mouth, I never forgot this, he said, oh, no, Dad, what would happen to the church? I said, are you willing to stay here? He said, you know what, Dad, we can't leave. Uh, uh, we got to consider the church. I found that great, uh, uh, great comfort to my heart. Years later now, he's been uh, pastoring in the Northwest. Now he's accepted the call uh, to go overseas. But we had the, uh, uh, the opportunity to see them a few days before they took off. So they kind of had uh, our home as a staging area to gather in all their supplies and everything and a bunch of uh, uh, luggage that they put together to take over. And uh, so it's a very apparent that when you're about to go overseas, there's a lot of stress. And, uh, you know, you've just uh, liquidated up uh, in your house and you sold this and you gave this away and you got this loose end and that thing. Kids, of course, get uh, runny noses and cough. Uh, and uh, you're going around town like a chicken with your head cut off trying to cover as many bases as you possibly can. And so this began to stir some, some, some area long uh, walled off inside of my mind, inside of my psyche. And I began to fla- have flashbacks. No, it wasn't from LSD. It was, um, it was uh, the flashbacks that came back from my experience uh, uh, going along those uh, footsteps as well. And uh, so then I got a chance to uh, talk to him, and he arrived safe and sound. We thank the Lord. But he began to testify about the plane was full and crying, screaming kids, and my kids were joining in and the cacophony of that. Uh, we got to there. We got all the bags. I got the wrong bag. I had to make another trip back. I got all these people uh, uh, talking to me, jibbering, jabbering at me, uh, and uh, remember this, and don't do this, and do this, and make sure you know how to drive this. And, and uh, they drive on the wrong side of the road over there in South Africa. Man, if they ever should have got on the same page on one thing, it should have been driving. The right side. Can you say amen? And so, uh, and so um, uh, he's uh, telling me this, and he's rocking, he's reeling. Uh, he got there, and, and uh, uh, he come to find out that very evening uh, uh, he was going to uh, be um, uh, taking over the church. Uh, uh, he felt very ill-prepared. He couldn't find his right clothes, his right colors, socks and shoes, and so forth. Uh, and so all of these things, and oh, by the way, make sure you remember how to drive, uh, because tomorrow you're on your own. There you are, four of them packed into this little uh, shoebox uh, uh, guest house. No air conditioning, no screens, bugs, uh, and sweat dripping off him. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, he goes to the office, please, I'll, I'll pay good money to have another room. Sorry, sir, there are no other rooms. And so all of this inundation that came at him, uh, and it occurred to me yet again, why would anybody, um, when there's nonstop upheaval, this is what you're looking at in order to go overseas uh, in the initial stage, why would anybody in their right mind uh, uh, do this? And there is absolutely no such thing as free revival. There's no such a thing as inexpensively fulfilling what God has called us to do. Uh, the cost has ever been the same, beloved. Uh, and that is the dear, dear currency of people's personal lives uh, to pay the price. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it always will be uh, until our King Jesus comes back again. Read with me Luke chapter 16, the words of our Lord, and starting verse 
uh, 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You're those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Let's begin by looking at a new and a higher call. You know, men and women left to themselves, even good, quote, religious folks, uh, it's not long before the, uh, they settle into the rut um, of materialism uh, and worldly concerns uh, and basically um, human nature, when it comes down to its lowest uh, denomination, uh, is that we're concerned about ourselves uh, and uh, our own advantage. Uh, this is what had happened to the Pharisees. If you go back and research the Pharisees, at one time, these were good men. These were men that uh, took upon themselves during a time of uh, apostasy. They rose up. They had a commitment to the scriptures. Uh, They were men that originally started off sincere, and they never thought to themselves, uh, or they never intended that they were going to wind up this way. This was not what their plan was. uh, uh, But uh, as the time went on and the years went on, they became more and more uh, stuck on materialism uh, and consideration of self-advantage had had turned them aside. You see, this is the real uh, Jesus that comes at us. Jesus steps on the scene uh, and he turns the apple cart upside down. Really, you could say he turns the world right side up. And the thing that I love about Jesus as you look in the Gospels uh, is he had the ability like none other, to reach inside the human breast uh, and to stir things awake um, and rattle the cage inside of us uh, and cause things that were perhaps dormant, perhaps we didn't even know about that existed inside of us, uh, and to begin to cause us uh, to consider other possibilities. Or in other words, a new and a radical approach to life. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, much like he came to the temple uh, and he turned over the uh, money changers tables, he drove out things that ought not to be there, and he was able to uh, cause this major uh, upheaval and disruption. Uh, Jesus Christ sometimes will come suddenly to the temple uh, of our lives uh, and do the same. In fact, some of you tonight, he's going to do that. Hallelujah. You know, when I think about why I left the East Coast and uh, I had a good family and good uh, prospects on the East Coast um, in terms I was going to Providence College, uh, had some things kind of aiming at to be a lawyer and had uh, some uh, financial prospects and so on and so forth. Uh, The reason why I was willing to uh, turn uh, my back on all of those things was because I found myself um, uh, captivated uh, by a radical vision, by a radical uh, uh, possibility um, that my life could count uh, and that I didn't just simply uh, uh, need to settle for the status quo or merely going through the motions of the rat race uh, and big whoop. You get a degree, you get married, you have a career, you make some money, you get some toys uh, and big whoop. You come to the end of the day 
today, and that's all you've got to show for yourself. Uh, You know, when I began to consider, even as a 19-year-old young man, the possibilities that God could use my life, inject my life uh, uh, with a significance, uh, and uh, that which would reach into eternity, uh, it began to turn my crank. It began to cause me to say to myself, you know what, Uh, I'm willing to face off to my parents, good old Catholic, Roman Catholic parents uh, that commanded me to stop this foolishness. Get on the next plane and you come home. Nope, not going to do that. I have a higher uh, obligation. I want to respect you as far as I can. uh, But you know something, um, uh, I'm going to give myself in the service of the great king of kings. uh, And and I began to uh, do that. um, And the thought about being called to preach the gospel that is able to change, um, not just simply, uh, you know, do some service for somebody, but to actually change uh, eternal destinies, Unleash movements like uh, uh, we've uh, been able to see in the Philippines uh, and to have impact uh, that absolutely um, uh, lays a foundation for the new world that's coming uh, and the trump of the angels trump, hallelujah, as we're helping to lay that foundation uh, uh, for what is to come. I want you to listen to the sweet nectar. I mentioned this man, Patton, but listen to, uh, to the rest of the story. On October 24th, 1869, nearly 11 years after his arrival, Patton led his first communion service. Twelve converted cannibals partook of the Lord's Supper. As I put the bread and wine into those hands, once stained with the blood of cannibalism, now stretch out to receive and partake the emblems of the Redeemer's love, he wrote, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart uh, to pieces. Now, we're talking about significance. Amen. Thank God for every single person. Uh, We work jobs and we have families. uh, And you know what? Uh, But you see, there's so much more. And uh, and there's a uh, uh, there is a periscope in the spirit realm that needs to be uh, uh, put up on high above the waves of the mundane uh, and of the ordinary. uh, And you need to realize that God really does want to use your life and my life uh, uh, to have eternal impact. Those aren't just smart words. William Barclay fastened upon this truth. He said, inside of every single man's heart uh, is a sleeping hero that Jesus came to wake up. Abraham Lincoln, as he was going through uh, the, uh, the tragedy and the, uh, all the things of the Civil War era, uh, he spoke as he considered uh, the possibilities within the hearts of men. Uh, and he said, you know what? Uh, if they're surrendered to the maker, uh, uh, you, you need to uh, uh, have uh, the better angels, if you will, uh, And he used that expression. The poet has captured, uh, part of me comes from the mud and part of me comes from the stars. Now, this is the problem, isn't it? Because the flesh uh, wrestles against the spirit and the spirit uh, wrestles against the flesh. uh, And we're in a a tug of war so many times. uh, But I want to tell you that inside each one of us, uh, there are reservoirs of possibilities uh, you perhaps have never considered. I don't care who you are here tonight. uh, You're not functioning in all 16 cylinders. uh, And there's a minute part uh, uh, that we use really uh, overall. And every single one of us has incredible uh, possibilities. 
abilities that could be tapped for God. But it's like oil that's buried out of sight uh, beneath the surface of the ground. It has to be drawn up uh, and put to use in order for it to be any good. Uh, and there's reservoirs, I've declared to you tonight, brother, sister, uh, that could have incredible impact uh, and, uh, and uh, abounding fruit uh, and abiding fruit uh, that if the Lord uh, could get us to surrender up. Now, right here, we encounter a major problem, uh, especially in, the, uh, in the regards to the subject at hand. You know, you have to separate fact from fiction. It's been my experience when you're dealing with world evangelism. You know, we can humor ourselves. You know what? The folks that define folks that go to church in, in Chandler, you're a mission-minded church led by a, a skipper that has the world upon his heart. Tempe, Prescott, all of these uh, churches uh, uh, that we could mention, um, and uh, we have uh, lots of involvement um, in overseas works, um, and whether sending our pastors or sending our sons and daughters. uh, But you know, just because you attend one of our churches, uh, you could uh, make the uh, uh, grave mistake. uh, You say, I'm in the flow. You know what? Uh, my commitment to uh, evangelization of the world is satisfied. I go to a mission-minded church, and it's really all too easy uh, uh, to hide in a crowd. And some of you are doing exactly that. Say, how do you know? The Spirit of the Lord told me to tell you that. You know who you are. You see, let me give you a tongue-in-cheek example that illustrates this, uh, this deception that's all too common. A very heavy woman, she joined a weight reduction club, and she was testifying to her friends how great it was going. Why? Just last month, our club lost 100 pounds. Her innocent son, who had noted that there had been no change in mommy's eating habits, (laughs) nor reduction in her overall appearance, stepped into it by saying, yeah, but mommy... How much did you lose? The embarrassed woman caught out. She said, ah, well, er, ah, well, ah, actually, I didn't lose any, but the other girls are doing so good. Now, that's a tongue-in-cheek illustration of a principle that can um, apply here. The Apostle James was known for his practical bent, and he said, you know what, be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own uh, selves. When it comes to world evangelism, um, I have found that many are willing to go, but they're planning to stay. You know what, Jesus Christ is never fooled by our jive baloney. Amen. Amen. There was a young man that came kissing up to him. Oh, Jesus, you are good master. Oh, you are, you know what, uh, good master. And Jesus jerked his covers uh, and said to him, why do you call me good? There's none good except for God. In other words, the inference, uh, are you acknowledging uh, that I'm God? Because if you are, and we do acknowledge Jesus Christ is God. And if that being true, uh, that means that he has God rights to speak to us. That means that he has the right to say, hey, I want you to do thus and so. 
I've got something I need you to do, an errand I want you to run. And so he calls this guy's shot. He says, okay, go and sell. This is what you lack. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. The Bible says, because yet again, because of mammon, because of material things that had their tentacles latched around his life, and because the love of those things, he got caught out in a Kodak moment before all of eternity and the angels of God, and he would not do what Jesus said. You know, Jesus gave him an apostolic call. This was a call, the same call that he issued to Peter and the boys, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He said, go and sell all, come and follow. Some people think that he was the one that should have, uh, should have replaced Judas. But he got caught out. Oh, don't talk smack uh, to Jesus or to me. John Stott, a English preacher, he said, modern men seem more interested in security and wrapping themselves in cotton wool and making sure that they can eliminate anything of risk or anything of danger or anything of deprivation. And this is a very tragic thing because one of the things that you're going to have to have if God is going to use your life, whether it be missions to the person next door where you live, missions on the job, missions in the schools, missions in your church, or overseas mission work, you're going to have to have the ability to risk. You're going have to have the ability to step out. Now, to counter that deadening leaven of worldliness and self-absorption, the Holy Ghost has sent his preachers, his heralds that are to declare the word of God. In this context, uh, they're rising up when the, uh, the t- sore point is touched about uh, material things. Uh, they were covetous. They derided Jesus. Uh, and they, uh, when Jesus said, you cannot have two master passions uh, ruling on the throne of your life, either God or material, either the spiritual or the physical is going to rule. It cannot be that there's a two-headed master. Only one is going to have supreme allegiance and supreme authority in your life. And so they derided them. They sneered at him. And Jesus said, you're those that justify yourselves before men. God knows your heart. God knows our hearts here this uh, this evening. And Jesus moves on and he ties into this. He said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. You know, the possibilities are to be proclaimed in the preaching of God's word. Then it's up to the individual with fear and carefulness to work out their own calling and very, very soberly. You know what? Don't wait till I come and give you a word about this. Well, if the evangelist calls me out of, you know, 500, 700, 800,000 people here uh, tonight, uh, then I'll know that that's really you, Lord. But you see, the arrow of the Lord is not bound. The word of God's not bound tonight. Uh, and he, uh, you might be uh, hiding behind the wall back there for all I know, but the Lord can find you out. Uh, and you see, the issue becomes uh, is that the word of God's delivered to us uh, and the kingdom of God has been preached ever since John came. Uh, there was a turning point uh, in the uh, in the economy of God, and since that time, preachers proclaim the will of God, and they declare to the people's attention that God has a plan for their life, and then it's up to you to work out your own salvation in fear and carefulness. Can you say amen? Let's focus on this phrase Jesus used, 
everyone, the kingdom's been preached and is being preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Now, this is never to be a light thing. This is never going to be actually the will of... Now, listen, the kingdom of God and its possibilities uh, uh, to touch nations, to unleash movements... Uh, it's not going to be a piece of cake. It's not going to be abracadabra, you know, uh, open sesame uh, and lickety split, it unfolds. That's not the teaching of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the Word of God. You're going to have to be serious. You're going to have to make some decisions. Uh, and I want you to focus on this phrase uh, uh, that uh, everyone's pressing in. That word pressing uh, is a Greek word, um, uh, biadzo. It literally means to force to crowd oneself into, or to be seized. It's never going to happen without you. The little line that I always remember is, without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. And so there is the part of God, and there's the part that you supply, and it makes a chemistry that forms a, a, a powerful thing. And, and the Lord would speak to us tonight and have us to understand it's not going to happen without us. He's not going to send an angel over and snatch us out of Chandler and deposit us off in some nation that needs the gospel. Friend, it's going to have to be some decisions that you and I make. Robertson's Word Pictures of the Greek says... Here the meaning clearly is that everyone forces his way into the kingdom of God. A plea for moral enthusiasm and spiritual passion and energy that some today seem to despise. Now this was written about 50 years ago and all the more in a lukewarm generation. Now, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 is a companion verse. Uh, Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence, uh, and the violent uh, take it by force. I like the amplified uh, translation, brings out the added flavor, uh, and it goes like this. And from the days of John Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault. And violent men seize it um, uh, by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with ardent zeal and intense um, exertion. Believe you me, you're not going to fulfill a, um, a missionary's call or missionary role, uh, be that here in Chandler or be that overseas someplace uh, without stepping up to the plate uh, and determining with a pit bull tenacity uh, that you're going to lay hold of what God has for your life. Don't even, don't even go there. Well, the sovereign God is going to, uh, uh, he's going to, you know, and he, you know, he's going to sprinkle some magic fairy dust on my head at night and I'm going to wake up like John the Baptist uh, and begin to preach uh, blockbuster sermons. Ain't going to happen. You know, you can only pull out of a bag what you put into it. You know, the real heroes and heroines, they're not the brain-dead Airhead Britneys and Parises and whoever else of the world. You know, Brittany, what a, what a poster child. You know. And, um, you know, the world goes agog over such uh, uh, these, uh, these, uh, these, you know, these uh, flash in the pan uh, little starlets that are here today and tragically burnt out tomorrow. Just enough like Madonna to just spread her seed of, of puke and garbage uh, and corrupt uh, another generation of good little American girls. They're not the heroines. They're filthy pigs. But you see, the issue is the brave men and women that were willing to do what God has said to them 
that were willing to press in to all that the Lord has called for their lives. I was thinking about Eric Little, the guy of the uh, Chariots of Fire fame, and I have a little, uh, a little uh, snapshot of his life. Eric Little was a missionary kid born in China. At age seven, his parents enrolled him in a boarding school in Britain, and he spent most of his childhood separated from them. But school officials encouraged him to devote himself to sports, and young Eric soon developed an athlete's physique. He also began flexing his spiritual muscles, rising early each day to meet the Lord in prayer and Bible study. When Eric entered the university, he broke one record after another in sporting events. His sister wrote their parents in China saying, every week he brings home prizes. We've nowhere to put them all. As his fame grew, an innovative Scottish evangelist named uh, D.P. Thompson eyed him as an intriguing prospect for the ministry. He invited Eric to share his testimony with a group of men uh, in Armandale. And on April 6, 1923, Little made his debut in public evangelism. By the time he arrived in the Paris Olympics that summer, Eric was known worldwide as a powerful athlete and as an outspoken Christian who, despite refusing to race on Sundays, could win the gold. Can you imagine that? Not a hundred years ago, there were people that actually had convictions. I'm not doing it on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. Man alive, how far we've come, baby. He won some other races. Fame didn't stop him from following his parents to China. He arrived there as a missionary in 1925. When the Japanese invaded in 1937, he purposefully remained. And in 1943, he found himself interned in a camp outside Peking. Conditions were horrible. Eric ministered day by day, praying with the sick, coaching the children, witnessing to the lost. At times, though, his head throbbed. He began visibly weakening. On February 21st, 1945, he died. An autopsy revealed a massive brain tumor. A camp survivor was asked the reason for Little's influence at the camp. She replied that every morning at 6 a.m., he would rise and light the peanut oil la- uh, lantern on the little dormitory table just enough to illuminate his Bible and notebook. There he would silently meet God at the start of each new day. It was the flying Scotsman's lifelong habit, she said, the secret um, of his uh, power. There's a hero. If you look at uh, missions and uh, the modern mission movement actually can be traced to a man uh, that was the most unlikely um, uh, character, unlikely candidate. His name uh, uh, is William Carey. Uh, This guy had so many different issues uh, about his life and had not a good um, uh, uh, marriage. He had a problem uh, physically. He couldn't even work outside. uh, And yet uh, he came upon a journal of of, uh, Captain Cook's um, uh, voyages uh, and something was lit. One of those switches I mentioned earlier was triggered. uh, And this man began to yearn. Uh, He made his own handmade maps uh, and uh, he began to uh, consider that, you know what? The Great Commission uh, has called us. This is back in the 1790s, uh, and so he began to um, uh, stir it up, uh, and one uh, biographer says, until then, most Protestants believed the Great Commission had been given only to the original apostles. Carey insisted it was binding on all succeeding generations of Christians, an idea that brought scorn from many preachers. He was called a miserable enthusiast, uh, enthusiast um, and at one Baptist meeting, Dr. John C. Ryland, um, the man who had baptized him, said, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you and me. And so here's a man 
that pushed against uh, tradition. He pushed against uh, what was uh, known as orthodoxy. Uh, he said, you know what, I'm gonna, I believe God uh, has uh, called us. I believe the church has been uh, abandoning uh, their um, our responsibility to this. Uh, and so here's this shoemaker. Here's this uh, uh, amateur map maker. Uh, he sails over to Burma. He works diligently uh, and works diligently to translate the scriptures uh, into Burmese. One day he comes back from a, a walk outside his little thatched hut is on fire. There his uh, whole translation uh, uh, that he's painstakingly labored over uh, is going up in a, in a pile uh, of, uh, of smoke and ashes uh, and the man begins again. He's not broken. Uh, he doesn't uh, quit. Uh, he doesn't get discouraged. Uh, and you know what it was? Uh, he made this statement. Uh, Every one of us ought to fashion on it. You may not have 16 talents. You may not even have two talents, uh, but you might have. God said, I'll give each one of you one. And you know what? You can plod. That's what he said. I can plod. I can, I can just, you know what? If I have to be a drudge, I don't care. I can plod one step in front of another. I can pick up my pen uh, and I can start with Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 uh, and I can do it all over again. Isn't that incredible? He's the father of the modern mission movement. Up until that time, uh, they said, oh, no, if God wants to do anything, uh, uh, he'll, just, uh, he'll just do it. Uh, but you see, beloved, thank God we've got some real inspirations uh, and heroes. Uh, and one of the things, uh, beloved, uh, is that uh, modern life has, uh, has, uh, has um, led us uh, astray upon uh, is that if it doesn't happen just like this, there's some people here, maybe you've not, you know, you're not a teenager, you're not in the full bloom of strength. Uh, and, uh, and you know what? Maybe you're in your 50s. Maybe you're in your 70s. Uh, but you know what? Uh, don't count yourself out because God's not through with you. You're still breathing, still walking vertically. Uh, and you know what? When you're horizontal and you haven't moved for about uh, 30 minutes, uh, then it's over. <laughs> you know, it's monstrously false that if something doesn't happen just like this, you know, there's chapters in God. There's chapters. And you may have a small chapter or a narrow influence uh, in an early stage, uh, and you might bust into a, a, a completely uh, a huge uh, uh, place uh, of ministry. Um, and another chapter, uh, as, uh, as your life unfolds, as you faithfully serve God uh, and uh, you um, walk um, in a long obedience in the same direction. Another thing that's uh, uh, false uh, is that you need things to make you happy. Recently, there was an article in the Arizona Republic that really caught my eye. And what it said was they were comparing houses of today back 200 years ago. The average house 200 years ago uh, was 700 square feet. It had a large chimney in the middle. And it usually was full of uh, soot or smoke would uh, fill the house. And the average um, uh, occupancy would have averaged about 6.7, almost 7 uh, persons in that home. Uh, and many of those houses would have had 10, 11, 12, 13. Uh, and uh, they did it in a little uh, shoebox kind of a place, uh, uh, 700 square feet. Today's home, the average home is 2,400 square feet. And the average uh, occupancy is two adults, a man and a woman, and a dog and a cat. And all of them, including the dog and cat, are on Prozac. <laughs> I, I embellished that a little bit, in case you couldn't. Okay. But you know, really, that's a lot tr- closer to the truth than I, I, I wish it was. Oh, you know what? What is up with that? Can Think about this. 
700 square feet, and yet these people managed to uh, roll up their sleeves and get about life and make things happen and build a, uh, a brighter future for their uh, descendants. Uh, they didn't go in the mental wards. Uh, uh, they worked hard uh, and they had family life and, and all these things. And think about it. Think about what's happened to us. What has happened to us in our generation? Friend, we've been snookered. To believe that more things is going to equal a more happiness. Uh, and there's some people here right now, you're on the hot griddle by the Holy Ghost because you are bound by that spirit. And it is a spirit, friend. Uh, I want to tell you something, friend. Uh, uh, you can have all the trinkets uh, uh, that there are in China. And more and more of them coming from China. And you can have every single thing that you can possibly pine for. And your lust uh, demand for you to have. Uh, and at the end, you're going to come to the end of the trail, bored and and jaded, and empty, and tinny of soul, and spirit, and it's, you're going to have to find out early on in the game, beloved, is that it's, it's not things, but it's people that are the true riches. You know, good at this point to ask a question, what are you willing to give your life to? Perhaps even more important to ask, what are you giving your life to right now? Don't blow smoke at me. See, are you leaving your mark like John Patton, like William Carey? And whatever, whatever lane that God has called our life to run, you say, well, you know, that's you know, sovereign and Pastor Joe Campbell or this pastor, or that, well, that's a sovereign thing. And I understand that God has uh, some uh, very special things that he does in men's lives. But I want to tell you something. Uh, it's more uh, accurate to say that men have been willing and men have been uh, willing to make hard decisions. Uh, and the inconvenient truth is, uh, is that men uh, have been willing to um, uh, say no to the flesh, no to appetite, uh, and say yes to the Savior's onward and high uh, call. Uh, and Jesus ever shows us the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and he speaks these words in Matthew 16, 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Was, you know what? You can hear those words how many times until, yeah, yeah, I know that scripture too. And to the hand. <laughs> Rees Howe. Rees Howe was an Englishman, and he, some say that he was responsible for organizing many of the prayer meetings that went on during the, um, the, the dark days of the Blitzkrieg and the, and the, and the London Blitz. And, but anyway, as a young man, he worked in the mines 10, 12-hour days down in the mines. He was a born-again radical Christian, came out of the mines at, after a long day and changed, walked off to Bible studies, didn't have a car, uh, you know, such things, but walked in several miles to do Bible studies and was faithful uh, to encourage others in the faith. One particular night, he got off work, and it was overcast, began to rain. He trudged off into the night, uh, was gone for several hours. By the time he came home, it was a deluge, uh, and he came into his house shivering, soaked to the bone. Uh, and as he was there uh, trying to dry off, his father came with great disgust and said, Rees, I wouldn't do that for a hundred pounds. And Rees very quietly said back, neither would I. Some things are beyond what do I get out of it? 
So let's move on in closing to the currency that you have to be willing to pay if you're going to be a missionary in any capacity at all. And it really boils down to these denominations of currency, blood, sweat, and tears. So you'll not be able to produce spiritual fruit tonight, beloved, unless there's what Jesus Christ has dubbed uh, the exceptional accepts. See, this has to do with something you have to embrace with him in John 6, verse 53. Then Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And it's also something you have to embrace in regards to your own self. Again, Jesus Christ spoke in John 12, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. So there's the imagery that's there. First of all, unless we receive into ourselves the kind of life of Jesus Christ, which was a life of self-denial, and unless we understand that our flesh or our self, our, our own agenda becomes like a, a, a shield or a, a hard shell of a seed that imprisons the germ of life within, that germ of life is trapped that germ of life that has the capacity to produce hundreds upon thousands more and multiply itself uh, uh, times over uh, uh, into infinity, if you will, uh, uh, unless that, uh, unless that uh, shell is allowed to uh, uh, break apart and fall into the dirt uh, and has to uh, lose its uh, glory, has to lose its shine uh, and lose its, if you will, its identity uh, and allow that germ of life, that miracle uh, germ of life, to bust forward. Uh, Jesus said, uh, you're going to have to embrace the exceptional accepts if you're going to have fruit. Now look at any single fruitful man, uh, as I draw this uh, down to a close, um, they have had to buy this truth and sell it not. It's the dear price, and it's easy to say, but it's all another story to do. It's the dear price of self-surrender to God. You have Abraham, the father of the faith, it wasn't until he reached the end of himself, and the Bible says it was physically impossible for him to bear spiritual uh, seed. You know, you know he, could, he could produce Ishmael's all day long. You know, a man of God can hook up with a Hagar, and God help you if you ever hook up with some woman named Hagar. <laughs> Should have known just from good common sense, run. But... He has no problem producing the fruit of the flesh, none whatsoever. But the spiritual fruit, that's, what real, that's what's real. I, that's what's real. Not the chocolate bunny hops and, and uh, all the little tricks that we try and the little advertising schemes and all the little uh, things, props that we use and this, that. You know what? Uh, all of that stuff, and when it all is, is boiled down and it comes down to the end, uh, that didn't matter a trifle because it didn't produce spiritual fruit. Abraham cannot produce the fruit that God says, yes, this is, this is the, my chosen seed, and this is going to be your inheritance uh, and the real deal until he's beyond his own ability uh, and until he cuts the flesh. Until the flesh, the proud flesh uh, and the crowning flesh uh, has to be cut uh, and stripped away. And then, 
miraculously, uh, and that operation, um, he's able now to have spiritual offspring. But you see, there's chapters in every man of God's life, and this is a hard lesson for us to learn, and you're going to have to go through this, uh, this class again and again, as many chapters as the Lord uh, has for your life, uh, because we find Abraham now, him and his uh, nephew Lot, who really was his adopted son, and now he's got to, he's he's the older fella, and he's it's his right to choose, but he has to relinquish his rights, and then Lot takes the well-watered plains of Sodom, and but yet God comes to him and says, "Look at you know what? You let him get the better deal. You allowed him to have." His way. You know, man of God, you don't have to win every, you know what? You don't have to win every single, every single joust, every single battle. Well, you know what? I've got something else to say to you. Sometimes you just shut up. God gave you two ears and one mouth, and he, the math is right. Amen. Uh, immediately after, he allows the carnal brother to have his way. God comes to him in the secret place and says, you know, I gave you the whole enchilada. Later on, you've got uh, the promise, Isaac. God says, I want it back. I want it back. Now we're on some pretty heavy sacred ground. God has a right to come to us and say, I want it back. And so obviously he didn't want to kill Isaac prematurely, but he did want to check out Abraham and he will check out you and I. You see, we could, we could just quickly run down Jacob, fleet of foot, always uh, is able to run, always is tripping others and running away, uh, and uh, yet God has to touch him in the ring uh, and shrivel something in his hip and flesh, uh, and now as this man hobbles along, uh, and it looks like he's been scarred, it looks like he's been marked, uh, and yet he has power with God and with men. You're not going to have free revival. I don't care. You've got the slickest little book and program. Uh, you know better than every, seven wise men that can render a reason. Uh, guess what, friend? Uh, you're not going to have spiritual fruit uh, unless you also have a limp someplace. Joseph uh, has, to be, has to have his little proud uh, peacock uh, coat uh, that he uh, loves to wear that coat around. Uh, and he's this primping and he's just, uh, you know, he's a peacock, man. Uh, and, uh, and here he is. But you know what God says? You know, I got a better attire for you. Uh, let's exchange that for some prison garb. And I got some jewelry for you, too. Let's put some iron manacles around you. uh, And as you're going to be there for a period of time, maybe like 13 years or however many years it was, uh, a total of 13 years uh, until iron came into his soul. You know, when it's beyond you anymore and you have to admit, God, if I'm going to have fruit, uh, God, if I'm going to have pioneer, if I'm going to have a Bible study, uh, if I'm going to have a church, uh, if I'm going to be a missionary that doesn't just simply uh, 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 fill in some time uh, and allow uh, more uh, pages of the calendar fall by the wayside, God, it's going to have to be you. Only you, God, uh, can give spiritual fruit. I would to God we would remember that, and would to God uh, uh, we would uh, yield ourselves when God deals with us. You know what? That was a tremendous insight last night. I never heard that about Pastor Mitchell. He quit the ministry, and then Prescott. Check it out. No, some of you, some of you really need to uh, lay hold of that. You know what? I've had it. Forget it. These people are driving me nuts. That encourages you, don't it? I've had it. I've I've had it, and I'm just going to go earn an honest living. I'm going to try to serve God, get my family to heaven. But I've had it. And it's right there. 
in the most dismal uh, opportunity, you could say. A, a pastor uh, went off with a woman, and the pastor's adult son took the, uh, uh, the Sunday school superintendent along for the ride. That's pretty heavy stuff. Oh, that's a good, great prospect. You've just had, you know, you've just had all the, uh, the catches of the Four Square Fellowship, uh, and uh, now they're giving you another catch. A double whammy? Excuse me. Well, I've served in this fellowship for how many, how many, how many years? I deserve better. How many chapters, and we'll never know until eternity, are behind Pastor Mitchell's fruitfulness? You know, there's a poem that really convicts me, and it goes like this. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail your bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against the tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compass me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yes, as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? That was written by Amy Carmichael. She went in the 1800s to India. She went there as a young woman. Stayed there the rest of her life, 40 plus years. Never did have a furlough. Never did go back home. And she wrote, she wrote something. She was probably the best uh, man that England had at that day. <laughs> In the epistle to Romans chapter 10, Paul cites a passage from the prophet Isaiah. How beautiful are the f- mount- upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says unto Zion, thy God Reigneth. Now think about this. He's talking about ugly tootsies. Now I don't know about you, but I don't feel like this is the strongest part of my, you know, my feet. You ever looked at your feet? They're really, you know, they're not really, you know, uh, you know, you might prince along, but you know, most of us, our feet are kind of deformed. <laughs> you know, things growing in them, toenails and all kinds of, how beautiful are your feet? Why would it say that on the mountains that preach glad tidings? You see, it's not never been easy. It never is going to be easy. You know, people have appreciated what God's done in Deval, and, and I've been asked, how did you do that? I paid a dear price. A couple months in, there was a missionary's wife was killed, and for reals, I had, to, I, had to, I had to examine my heart. I say, God, I didn't sign up for this. Like, I, you know, I wasn't like thinking that I was possibly going to have to risk my life. I didn't really think about that. I thought, well, we're going to go have revival. We're gonna... But you see, there were some things that had to take place first. And there really had to be a time where God met my life. And there was all kinds of uh, options and all kinds of possibilities. There were some people, missionaries, were bailing out. Uh, and there was all kinds of things. Uh, I love my wife. I love my children. 
It was no picnic to have my kids lie down on the, on the running board in the, in the car as I, rode, I drove them to school as we had to run the gauntlet uh, and uh, through it. Uh, they called it um, Nika Agdow, killing fields. That's pretty weird to have, you know, these drills with your kids where you say, okay, everybody at the, uh, at the count of three, everybody go in four different directions. I wasn't digging that. I want to tell you, there were some, some intense things and some intense times and there was all kinds of stuff. We didn't go there to get a, a missionary's uh, a feather uh, in our cap, friend. We went there because, you know what, uh, we answered a call. We had no idea what was going to uh, befall us or what waited for us. They called, Mur- they called Davao City Murder-, Murder City Asia. But you know what? By the grace of God, we saw a, 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 a tide change, if you will, uh, in that city. We saw the NPA, the communists driven out. We saw the glory of God come in. Many, many uh, precious Filipinos uh, and wonderful movement of God was unleashed. uh, And I I rejoice. Hallelujah. And you can go there today. You can say, you know what, man, what a powerful thing. I have the privilege of going in 12 days with my father in the faith, Pastor Mitchell. My wife is coming back. Uh, This is going to be my 30th round trip, but who's keeping track? My son that was raised there from a baby. My son-in-law who's a pastor and his wife is, uh, is staying behind with the kids. But you know what, Tim? What a glorious, glorious thing. As I mentioned, 1,200 delegates. Uh, and uh, this is a wonderful thing to be able to do this for the glory of God. But I want you, all of you wannabes, you're going to have to pay with the currency of your life. I close with this. In the barren prairie, the hiker huddles down. The cold northerly sweeps over him, stinging his face and numbing his fingers. The whistle of the wind is deafening. The hiker hugs his knees to his chest, yearning for warmth. He doesn't move. The sky is orange with dirt. His teeth are grainy, his eyes sooty. He thinks of quitting, going home, home to the mountains. Ah, the mountains. The spirit that moved him in the mountains seems so far away. For a moment, his mind wanders back to his homeland, green country, mountain trails, fresh water, hikers hiking on well-marked trails, no surprises, few fears, rich companionship. One day, while on a brisk hike, he had stopped to look out from the mountains across the neighboring desert. He felt strangely pulled to the sweeping barrenness that lay before him. The next day, he paused again, and the next, and the next. Shouldn't someone go there? Shouldn't someone try to take life to the desert? Slowly the flicker in his heart became a flame. Many agreed that someone should go, but no one volunteered. Uncharted land, fearful storms, loneliness. But the hiker, spurred by the enthusiasm of others, determined to go. After careful preparation, he set out alone. With the cheers of his friends behind him, he descended the grassy highlands and entered the desolate wilderness. The first few days, his steps were springy and his eye was keen. He yearned to do his part to bring life to the desert. Then came the heat the scorpions, the monotony, the snakes. Slowly the fire diminished and now the storm, the endless roar of the wind, the relentless cursed cold. I don't know how much more I can take. Weary and beaten, the hiker considers going back. At least I got this far. Knees tucked under him, head bowed, almost touching the ground. Will it ever stop? Grimly, he laughs at the irony of the situation. Some hiker, too tired to go on, yet too ashamed to go home. Deep, 
Deep is the struggle. No longer can he hear the voices of friends. Long gone is the romance of his mission. No longer does he float on the fancifulness of a dream. Maybe someone else should do this. I'm too young, too inexperienced. The winds of discouragement and fear whip at his fire, exhausting what is left of the flame. But the coals remain hidden and hot. The hiker, now almost the storm's victim, looks one last time for the fire. Is there any greater challenge than that of stirring a spirit while in the clutches of defeat? Yearning and clawing, the temptation to quit is gradually overcome by the urge to go on. Blowing on the coals, the hiker once again hears the call to the desert. Though faint, the call is clear. With all the strength he can summon, the hiker rises to his feet, bows his head, and takes his first step into the wind. Let's bow our heads. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.